As the offering plates start around, I'm going to go ahead and jump in. Um, I do love me some Christmas music. I love that we started this morning with a Christmas song. Like, I, I love it. It never gets old to me. And I think the reason I love Christmas music is every time I hear one of the songs, it kind of takes me back. Does it do that for you? Like, you, you hear the song and it reminds you of, hey, once upon a time when? Like a song I'm getting ready to share with you in a second. I remember Amy and I were in our freshman year of college, and we were in a musical together called 1940s Radio Hour. And uh, the setting for this whole musical was December of 1942. Well, World War II was going on in December of 1942, right? So the music, I love the music. It was big band. It was all the ballads. It was, um, it was just, man, it was so much fun. Just great, great music in, in this musical. Well, there's one particular scene. There's one particular scene where everything gets quiet. And the character Ann Collier, which was my wife, she wasn't my wife then, she didn't know she loved me, and she didn't know that she needed to love me, but she did. Like, she was starting to watch me, and she had eyes for me, you know, and she was like, he's a looker, you know, or something, whatever, you know, it was something kind of like that, you know, it was like, man, look at him, and something like that. Anyway, so the, the character Anne gets up, and she gets up right in this, this somber moment. It's this somber moment because they're reflecting on all their friends and all their relatives who are overseas fighting in the war. And she sings this song just in the silence of the moment, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. And so every time I hear the song now, I'm like, ah, oh, it takes me back to that moment. So good, right? So good. What's funny, though, the setting for this play, December of 1942, Guys, that song didn't even come out until 1944. Like, I looked. I looked it up. 1944 is when the song came out. Judy Garland actually sang it first in the uh, movie Meet Me in St. Louis. Anyone, like, you've seen it? Wait, let me... Judy Garland, for those of you who don't know, she was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Like, she's kind of famous. She's a famous person. So, yeah, like, probably a quarter of you have seen Meet Me in St. Louis. For the rest of you, here's the plot line. The basic plot line is there's this family... Judy's part of the family. There's this family, and they're going to move, pick up and move from St. Louis and go to New York. Well, Judy Garland's character doesn't want to move because she's in love. It's not good for your love life if you're like hundreds or thousands, however many miles it is, right? It's a long way. That's not good for your love life. So she's sad, and she's singing this song to her sister, and her little sister is also sad. And the original lyrics are not the lyrics that you know and love today. Here's just I want to give you a peek at the original lyrics. Here we go. The original lyrics says this. Child VNX, that's you. Here we go. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. <laughs> Next year, we may all be living in the past. So have yourself a merry little Christmas. And then it goes on. And then it gets to this next verse. Look at this. Happy golden days of your faithful friends who are dear to us will be dear to us no more. And so Judy Garland received these lyrics, and she's like, I don't think this is going to work. You know, instead, this kind of melancholy, and so she pushes the lyrics back. They do some changing, and so now it doesn't say, have yourself a merry little Christmas. It may be your last. Now it says, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. And then later, faithful friends who are dear to us will be near to us once more. Isn't it amazing? I changed just a few words. Just a few words. And it goes from a song of despair. It goes from this song of sadness to a song of hope. Here's the thing. I think some of you are here this morning, and um, you don't have very much hope today. 
Right? You've been trying to fake it, right? Fake it till you make it kind of a thing. And you're like, well, I'm here. That's the best I can say right now is I'm, I'm here. But the reality for you isn't peace right now. It's not, it's not joy. It's certainly not hope. I just want you to know my prayer for you this morning as I joined with the elders this morning and we prayed. My prayer specifically for you was that this morning through the word of God, you will return to this place of hope. That God's holy word will be used to pierce through your heart and whatever despair and whatever darkness may be there, because I don't know what it is, whether it's the health stuff, the finance stuff, the relationship stuff, all the above stuff. I don't know what it is for you that's keeping you in that place of sadness and despair, but my prayer for you is that you find a place of hope today. We're in week number two of the sermon series called... called um, Christmas through fresh eyes, where we're looking at the promises that God has given us through the prophet Isaiah about Jesus. Let's take our Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, as we look at this big idea of hope in the, rest, uh, the restorative work of Jesus, hope in the restorative work of Jesus, Isaiah chapter 11. As you're turning to Isaiah 11, let me just set the stage for you real quick. The stage is this, Israel's a mess. Isaiah is writing this down as Israel is completely just, you've got the northern kingdom, you've got Judah, so Israel has been split into literally two nations, and the people have been re just rebellious, right? They're rebelling, they're pushing back against God, they want what they want, and they want it now, right? So it's very egocentric right now. They've been rebelling and pushing back from God. So God's going to bring judgment onto Israel by the way of the Assyrian Empire. So Assyria comes in, the Assyrian Empire is just going to whoop up the prophecies there. Assyria is going to whoop up on Israel. But we should, don't pick on Israel. Like that's what we learn from the story. Don't pick on Israel because God will then bring judgment on you. And so we see this prophecy that God's going to bring judgment on the Assyrian Empire and that it will never be rebuilt. If you're a fan of history, this is one of the greatest empires the Middle East has ever known, and now we're thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, this empire, this empire has never been rebuilt. And so we're going to jump in then, Isaiah. I'm actually going back up, not at verse 11. I'm going back up to chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 33 says this. It says, Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bowels with terrifying power, the great and height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So when God is done with Assyria, all that's going to be left is stumps. Think of the pictures you've seen like after World War I, no man's land, like it's just desolation, right? Like there's nothing. It's just complete annihilation of everything. So all the way from Judah, all the way to Assyria, stumps. That's the prophecy just stumps. Do you hear the despair there? Do, do you hear the place of we lost all hope? We've lost everything. It's in that setting that we start in with chapter 11. So look at chapter 11. Isaiah says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So here Isaiah says, I see a time coming where there will no longer be someone following in the line of, of David, right? In the line of Je Jesse is David's father. So in the line of David, there will come a time where there will not be an earthly king 
from the line of David. But he says it's in that moment that there's going to be a stump left, right? A stump where Jesse's family line had been, and there's going to be a shoot. This branch is going to start to grow off of that stump. He's talking about the Messiah, the promised one that would come. He's talking about Jesus. He says that's where the roots will take form, and then there will be root, uh, roots that will come from there because he's going to keep his promises that he promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where he said David's throne shall be established forever. So for the remainder of this morning, what I want us to do is look at three ways. Three ways that as Jesus comes, he brings hope. First of all, in verse 2, we're going to see that Jesus rules in the power of the Spirit. Look at verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So we notice right here at the beginning that there's something very special about Jesus. It says that he will be in the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. In chapter 61, if you fast forward in Isaiah to Isaiah 61, you will see this almost exact wording as it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now what's fun, you'll want to jot this down in your notes. Luke 4. Luke 4, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And as Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, he reads Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And do you know what he says in that moment? He says this. He says, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Did you, did you catch that? Jesus acknowledged that he was the fulfillment of this prophecy. Right there in the synagogue, Jesus said hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, this prophecy was made. And then he says, the prophecy has been fulfilled because you've heard it today from me. Isn't that powerful? Like that is so awesome. And then Isaiah uh, 2 gives three pairs of characteristics that the Spirit will empower Jesus with. Verse 2 says, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So let's look at that first pair, wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding, that's foundational, isn't it? If you want to be a great leader, you need wisdom and understanding. If you want to give wise counsel, you need wisdom and understanding. But then look where it goes. It's going to lead to this place of spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Jesus, Scripture says, will lead from a posture of fear of the Lord. Now, quick time out because some of y'all, you want to skip right over that, don't you? If you're reading in your devotion, you're like, and fear of the Lord, next, I don't want to see that, right? You next, it appears 300 times in Scripture, church. As followers of Jesus, we can't just say next because we don't like how it sounds. But we don't like how it sounds because of our 21st century years. Fear of the Lord, we fear things because someone's been abusive, right? We fear things because there's been a, a hostile, unhealthy environment. That's why, that's why we fear that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about something so, so different. So let me tell you about the opposite of fear of the Lord, because I think it'll help you. The opposite of fear of the Lord would be this posture that says, I ain't afraid of nothing. I do what I want to who I want when I want. I give respect when I get respect. You tracking with me? That's called pride, just so you know. Pride puffs up. That's the opposite of fear of the Lord, right? Pride is this place where you say, I can do it all on my own. The helping hand I'm looking for is at the end of my arm. I'll do it the way I want to do it. That's pride. What did Jesus do? 
Jesus left the throne room of grace. He left heaven and he came to earth. Nothing puffed up about that, is there? As he, he left heaven. You get that, right? Think of the most incredible place you've ever seen on this planet. And maybe you've only seen it in pictures. Hawaii, Bora Bora, whatever, the UP, the Rocky Mountains, whatever that most majestic place is. You know what the Bible says? Better is one day in his courts than a thousand anywhere else. Better is one day in his courts. And Jesus, in the throne room of grace, he left the throne of grace to come here to be obedient. I love how Scripture says it in Philippians 2. It reminds us that he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even death to death, even death on a cross. Isn't that powerful? You see, Jesus came and he lived a perfect and sinless life. He came and lived and died and lived again to pay for our sin, our disobedience, our rebellion. And yet Jesus, in the garden, what did he say? He said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You know what he said? He said, God, I would really rather do some other plan if I can. But amazingly, he came to that place of saying, not my will, not my desire, but yours. That's a fear of the Lord. A fear of, this, of the Lord is this awe and this reverence of saying, you are never changing. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my job is to bring my life into alignment with yours. When I do that, there is an awe of the Lord. There is a respect of the Lord. There is a fear of the Lord. Do you see that? The opposite of the fear of the Lord would be this posture of pride. That's why Israel's being punished in the first place here. They lost their fear of the Lord. Which brings us to the uh, next hope we have in the restorative work of Jesus. Not only does he rule in the power of the Spirit, next we see that he rightly judges. Look at verse 11. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with the righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. So Isaiah is saying there's a coming time of judgments. Right? There's going to come a time of judgments in the future. Isaiah doesn't know the timeline though, does he? He doesn't realize that verses 1 through 3 is one timeline. Verses 3 through 10 is another timeline. We are on this side of the cross, so we can see that. We can see the verses 1 through 3. That's when Jesus lived on this earth, when he lived, died, and lived again. That's verses 1 through 3. But we know as Christians that there will be a second coming of Christ. There will be a new kingdom established. That's verses 3 through 10. In this new kingdom that Jesus establishes, the wicked will be punished and the poor and the meek will be rescued. That kind of makes us pause, doesn't it? And say, well, well, who are you talking about with the poor and the meek? But Jesus talks about that, doesn't he? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus directly addresses this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. The poor in spirit doesn't mean, Lord, I don't have any money. Like, it doesn't mean that. It's where you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, there's nothing that I can do, nothing I can physically do to earn your favor, nothing I can physically do that earns my way to heaven. Lord, there's no amount that I can pay that's going to pay my way into heaven. So spiritually, I'm bankrupt because I'm a sinner. Spiritually, I am bankrupt before you. I need a Savior. Do you hear that? That's so opposite of pride, isn't it? 
I need a Savior. I can't do this on my own. That's what it means to be blessed are the poor in spirit. I am lost. I am hopeless. I am helpless without you. Lord, I need you because I'm bankrupt without you. And then what about that meek? Verse 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So if if blessed are the poor in spirit focuses on our sinfulness, meekness really focuses on the holiness of God. When I preached this before, you guys heard this, I think within the last year, maybe. Anyway, we did a Sermon on the Mount series not too long ago. And I said that meekness is not weakness, right? Meekness doesn't mean that you're a doormat for all of humanity to walk over. That's not what meekness is. Meekness means that there's power in reserve. Like when the spring comes and the snow all melts and they're building a building right there. It's going to be awesome. And that breeze outside, that warm breeze blows on your face. You realize that is a very meek breeze. There's power in reserve there. Go to Oklahoma If you go to Oklahoma and on that same spring day, there's going to be tornadoes all over the place. And that same wind you're going to see is not that meek little gentle breeze. It can absolutely level cities. It absolutely can knock everything. Just wind. That's all it is. But it's power in reserve. Here's what that means for us. It's when you and I say, that person, oh, that person, I'm going to bring the thunder with them. I'm going to show them something. I'm going to write them a letter and tell them what I think. I'm going to get on the Facebook, and I'm going to Facebook them, right? That's, that's not meek. Do you hear how puffed up that is? Here's meek. Meek says, Lord, you are so good and holy, I don't have to. You are so good and so holy, I am trusting you to not open my mouth. I am trusting you to let go of my fist. I am trusting you to drop the pen. Lord, I am trusting you to put the keyboard away. You are so holy and so good and so just. I know there's power. I know I could bring this and I could bring that. I'm not going to. Because, Lord, you are good. That's meekness. That's where meekness is. And, and Scripture is calling us to this place of poor in spirit. Uh, it's calling us to this place of meekness. Back to Christmas music. I don't think any Christmas Eve service would be complete without joy to the world, right? And yeah, I haven't ever met anyone when I say, what's your favorite Christmas song? Joy to the world. And if you're here, you got to tell me out in the lobby. Because I just, uh, like most people are like, I like Oh Holy Night. I like Silent Night. I wait a manger. I like all these. But this is the one that we always skip. But yet we always feel like we need it, don't we? And I think it's appropriate that we want to hear this song because the first few words set the stage for everything. This is joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Now listen. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing. So we know, we know that one day Jesus will return. Our heart should be prepared. Our heart should be prepared not just to celebrate a Savior who came to the manger 2,000 years ago, but be prepared with the knowledge that one day he will return. Which brings us to our third and our final point today. We can we can place our hope in Jesus because Jesus restores peace. You're going to love this. Look at verse 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. You see, the reign of Jesus will bring complete social transformation. And can I just call out the fact that that's what we're all hungry for? When you turn on the TV and you're watching the debates for these elections, I'm not going to get political at all, so you can relax, but I'm just, there's, there's such strong extremes at either end. And in kind of what we're hoping for is there's going to be someone that just brings peace. There's someone that just brings restoration. There's someone that just brings truth and everything comes back together. Isn't that what we're hungry for? We see it in the Word of God. Like, this is it. This is what we're all hungry for. And it starts with the animal kingdom, and we see in verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Wolves eat lambs, just so you know. Like, they're breakfast. Lambs are breakfast. And here we see that they're going to lay down together. They're going to dwell and live together. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Isn't that incredible? Like this is just beautiful within the animal kingdom that all of a sudden everything is just living together at peace. Now some of you, when it comes to reptiles, some of you kind of like reptiles. Some of you don't mind them as long as they're behind a glass, right? Then you're like okay if it's like at the zoo. But here's what scripture says. It says the most vulnerable child will play over the hole of the cobra and the child will not be afraid to put his hand in the adder's then this is an amazing imagery here, the peace that Jesus will bring. And then I want you to look as Jesus' kingdom comes to his holy mountain where there's no evil, no pain, no death. The holy mountain will be this glorious resting place. And scripture says the amazing peace comes because the reality of verse 9, it says the peace only comes through the knowledge of the Lord. Can I just say the greatest need for all of humanity is knowledge of the Lord. Your greatest need, your very greatest need on this whole planet, your greatest need is knowledge of the Lord. Earlier I talked about the Christmas vision and the giving. Um, I just want to clarify it because I think if you hear it this way, maybe you'll hear it different. You're the vision. You, knowing the Lord, you are the vision. Your friends are the vision. The friends that maybe you've invited a couple times to come to church with you and they still haven't yet, but they're going to, like they're, they're the vision. Your networks, those people you work with, those people that you know, the people you, they're, they're the vision. Those relatives that aren't here yet, they're the vision. Pastor Julio in Ecuador, those people he's trying to reach, they're, they're the vision. Those tens of thousands of people within three to four miles of this campus who don't have any church home, they are the vision. Does that make sense now? Like, that's the vision. We want to know him and to make him known. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to know the Lord and to make him known. That's why we're gathered today, isn't it? That's why we're here. So what if I ask, if that's really the goal, to know him and to make him known, and that's part of the mission, that's part of what we're supposed to be doing, let me ask this. What if I said, and I'm not, I'm just for kicks, let's just follow me. What if I said over the next five years, the greatest goal in the world that I could possibly have as far as this church is concerned over the next five years would be for you personally, every single man, every single woman, every single teen in this room, for everyone to make one disciple in the next five years. See, some of you, you kind of smile and you're like, bring it. Like, let's do it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm so fired up. Like, 
yeah, let's do it. And some of you are like, whoa, make a disciple, but that means I got to teach someone how to pray, and sometimes I don't even know how to pray. I get, I get all flustered, and that means I'm going to teach someone about generosity. Sometimes I'm not very generous, you know, and yeah, I've got to teach people how to do community and relationship, and man, some of my relationships are an absolute mess. You know, I, I don't know if I'm ready to make a disciple. You know, I, I can bring them to church, and you can do it, you know, but for me to do it, and we get all nervous. But church, let's be crystal clear. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You're here to get equipped to be able to make disciples, to know him, to make him known. Verse 10 becomes this mountaintop of a passage as Jesus, the root of Jesse, who rules in justice, stands as a sign of hope for all people, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Jesus invites people to come, seek him, find rest in his glory. That is our Christian hope. But man, we get that confused, don't we? Our Christian hope and wants. We get the two confused. I want to close with this. Last week, uh, I'm not going to tell whose kid it was. Let me just say it was one of y'all's kids. Ended up down the hallway and in my office looking at my fish tank. My fish tank's a mess right now. Don't go back there. It's ugly. I don't know what happened this week, but it's all a mess. I'm, I've got to try to fix it. Anyway, they're sitting there looking at the fish. And... Um, I sit down in my chair and I start chatting with them. You know, how's the week going? Did you decorate for Christmas? Have you guys done anything? And they're like, well, we watched a movie. I'm like, yeah, what movie did you watch? Oh, I don't remember the name of the movie. But I had this one little boy stuck his tongue on the flagpole, Pastor Billy. <laughs> stuck his tongue and I went, oh, he did, did he? And I go, should you stick your tongue to the flagpole? Well, no, we live in Michigan. Like, don't do that. And I'm like, Michigan kids versus Ohio kids. There you go. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and we, so we, we kept talking, and I said, and, and so there was a little boy, was his name Ralphie? And they went, oh, how did you know? Like, they were just shocked. How did you know his name was Ralphie? I went, yeah, Ralphie wanted a Christmas present, didn't he? He did. Pastor Will, he wanted, what did he want? He wanted one of those BB guns. I said, was it a Red Rider? They looked at me like, who are you? <laughs> right? Of course, I'm talking about the Christmas story. Right? So, so Ralphie so badly wants this BB gun, and he's getting warnings from everywhere. Don't get the BB gun because it'll, you'll do what? You'll, you'll shoot your eye out. If you haven't seen the movie, we just ruined it right there. <laughs> You're going to shoot your eye out, you know? And so this little boy's kind of traumatized, but not really because he's like, no, that's where my hope is. My hope is to get that BB gun. If I get that BB gun, everything's going to be okay. The world will be great if I can just get, and he gets the BB gun. He ends up getting an injury. He didn't shoot his eye out, but like almost, you know, it was close. And uh, I'm just so glad that we're so different than Ralphie. <laughs> we're not always different than Ralphie, are we? You know, sometimes what we do, though, is we say, Lord, if you will just make this sickness go away, then, then that will be my hope. If you'll just help this job thing happen, this financial breakthrough happen, this house thing happen, this friendship relationship thing happen, this boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever happen, this husband, wife happen, if you just, if this can happen, whatever that Red Rider BB gun thing is for you, then I can have hope. Can I just tell you, those of you who are brothers and sisters in Christ, you know better than that. You've drifted. My friend, if that's you, you've drifted. And my hope is that through the word of God today, you kind of snap yourself right back. That your hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. Everything else is shifting sands, right? Everything else is, is going to come and go. You'll shoot your eye out. You know, you'll mess yourself up. It's not going to work. 
It never works like that. Your faith has to be in Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I just, I just want you to know there's an invitation today, an opportunity to do just that. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for today. And I am, um, Lord, I'm just overwhelmed to even be here today to have the opportunity to tell the truth about what your word says. So, Lord, I do pray for my brothers and sisters in here that um, they start to get distracted a little bit and start to drift from what your truth tells us. I pray that today is that reminder that they needed to get things back in line, to repent of the direction they've been going, of trying to find their hope in other places, and their hope and their trust and their joy and their peace is found only, only in the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you for that reassurance that you give us. We don't have to be shaken and tossed around because of what happens in life. We truly can have a firm foundation in you. For those of you that have never placed your faith in Jesus, um, you don't have to say my words. It's not that my words are magical or anything. But it's that expression of your heart where you surrender your life, your will, your faith to Jesus. If you don't even know where to start, just pray with me right now and just say, Dear God, thank you for loving me. I, I, know, I know that I can't be good enough to buy my way into heaven. I can't make enough money to buy my way into heaven. So God, I believe. I believe that's why Jesus came. He came to that manger as a baby. He left. He left that place that is better than anything we could dream or imagine here on earth. And Jesus, I believe that you lived that perfect and sinless life, that you were crucified. And when you were crucified, that you paid the price, the penalty for my sin. But I also believe that you rose on the third day, that you conquered death, and you rose again. I'm placing my faith and my trust in you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, thank you for coming to rescue me. Thank you for coming to save me. Merry Christmas, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, at this time, let's stand and let's close our morning in worship together.